We're so delighted that you decided to join us tonight to celebrate our Lord's birthday and that we can do it together here in this sanctuary. We've had the experience, as has been mentioned, that the other services have just been so very special and we look forward to that happening again for you. We realize it was a sacrifice on your part to come, but we know within an hour you're going to be very rewarded. I wanted to tell you just a couple of things. First of all, uh, during the service, if you are so led in response to what you're hearing and you want to bring your hands together, that's perfectly appropriate in here. That's one expression by which we praise God. Secondly, if you come Christmas Eve with a heavy burden tonight that is too heavy to carry alone, we have a team who would like to pray with you about that. And if you'd fill out one of the green cards that's in the pew in front of you, put it in the offering plate, you'll have a team behind you praying with you about whatever burden that that might be, because we know it gets extra heavy at Christmas time. One other thing I wanted to point out, we're glad that children are here, any that are here, you realize that we're creating memories for them that will last a lifetime, and I want to let them know they're totally welcome. There's a television series, maybe you've seen it, called Touched by an Angel, and that title brought me to tonight and our prayer for you. And our prayer is that at some part of this service, in some way that may surprise you, we pray that your heart is going to be touched by God himself. And we pray that something will happen that will make the Christmas message that you think you know so well, you've heard so many times, brand new, with relevancy to your life and needs. And with this is our goal. It's my pleasure to welcome you to what we traditionally call here the loveliest night of the year.
loving God, this evening we joyfully and gratefully sing your praises. We thank you for the wonder that is the birth of your son, Jesus. Bless our worship tonight as we acknowledge you as the Lord of joy, the Lord of hope, and the Lord of glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And as you're seated, please extend to one another the joy of this special night.
For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice.
glory to God in the highest. Jesus came to bring us the light. That's the good news of Christmas. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all.
seated. <laughs> you did a good job. I wish you could be up here hearing you sing. This is marvelous. And I was been reflecting tonight, how many places in our society today can we come together, a group of people, and be a family, and sing praises to God? It's, it's very unusual. It's a gift. And I hope you feel that tonight. I'm sure God was pleased with our offering of singing these carols. I want to say just a word to um, you who might be guests tonight. We realize that as we gather on a Christmas Eve, we're not on the same, all of us on the same page spiritually. We're all on some kind of spiritual journey. And I wanted to say that tonight, what I'm going to try to do is to explain to those who might still be seeking, who haven't yet totally found the relationship with God that you desire, I'd like to tell you what we Christians believe about the Christmas story and why we have found satisfaction in Christianity as the way to find God. In 1969, we were camping in Washington, and I remember the night so well because we went into a local town to watch Neil Armstrong walk on the moon. And when it was announced, the eagle has landed, and we saw an astronaut actually walking on the moon, I felt an emotion that could best be described as wonder. Later, we visited the Smithsonian and touched the capsule that took the astronauts to the moon. And again, I felt a sense of awe and wonder and amazement. Last spring, we were with some people up in Sharon Heights, and we watched the phenomenon in the heavens called the Hale-Bopp Comet. And it was traveling thousands of miles per hour with leaving a long train behind it. And the reaction of the crowd around us that night, again, could best be expressed as wonder. In July, a probe entered Mars' atmosphere and bounced onto a landing. A robotic vehicle sent back astonishing pictures of that planet 116 million miles away. Our reaction? Wonder, astonishment, awe, amazement. Now, as Christians, we believe none of these events, as marvelous as they were, can compare with the cosmic happening on the first Christmas Eve. In fact, wonder was the response of the characters involved in that drama, if you remember. Wonder filled Mary's heart when she was told by an angel that she, a virgin, was going to give birth to a son who would be God in the flesh. And then wonder was the shepherd's reaction to the angel's announcement that a savior had been born not in a palace, but in a manger. And then wonder at a star in the east drove the wise men to Bethlehem in search of an infant king. Strange story. And so it's been ever since wonder, mystery, and joy fill our souls as we gather on this magical night called Christmas Eve. And it always has drawing power where people are still seeking, still traveling, still wondering. Someone defines Christmas wonder as what God looks like when for the time being, to look at him, all we have to look at him with is a pair of eyes. And that implies that at best we see Christmas through a glass darkly tonight, but someday we Christians believe we're going to see Jesus face to face in all of his majestic glory. If you think about it, before the first Christmas, no one had really seen God. No one really knew what he was like. And then Jesus came and told us that God's a father who loves us. And I think that love is best articulated in what I call a summary of the Christmas story in John 3:16. for God so loved the world, that's you and me, that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's the source of the joy at Christmas. Oh, the wonder of it all that God would love us that much. 
And I want to ask, what about you tonight? Does the Christmas miracle fill you with a sense of wonder? Obviously, there are many reactions to the Christmas story, and I'm certain that they're represented here tonight. We can be so wrapped up in our overcommitted lives that Christmas kind of comes and goes and we miss it, preoccupied with other things. We can be so captured by our intellect and logic that we write off Christmas as a myth along with Santa Claus. Some, after thinking about it, hearing it, reject the Christ of Christmas, saying to God, I feel no need for what Jesus offers. I, Christianity isn't for me. And then there are those of us who have accepted Jesus as our Savior. We know him as our best friend. We know him as a resurrected Savior. And for some of us, he's the most real person we do know. So there are many responses to the Christmas story. Walking through the Sanford Mall recently, I saw an advent calendar in the window. It had a mixture of bears, rabbits, and other cute characters stuffed into the 25-day slots of December, none of which, of course, were remotely related to the Christmas story. What caught my attention was the window for December 25th. And instead of a nativity scene, there was a snowman. A snowman in the place of the Christ child, and I thought so symbolic of the spiritual blindness of our times. People really don't even know the Christmas story. That's a paradox because research in Silicon Valley has revealed people have an increasing spiritual hunger, but they don't connect satisfying that hunger with Jesus. And I would offer as one preacher, I think they have good reasons. On a recent Good Morning America, the host asked some religious leaders if we Christians believe people who reject Jesus go to hell. And the question for me revealed the ignorance about Christmas in the minds of so many people, propagated in part by distortions in the media, and I, I believe propagated in, in a great way by the unloving, judgmental attitude of many people who take the name Christian. Because the Bible says this about Christmas, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And then it always adds, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. And I'm always interested in how did we get this issue of sending people to hell and that being the only thing we say about Christmas and Christians. Christmas is relevant to those who want to get connected with God. For people who haven't found a way to do it and they're still interested, still seeking. Christmas is those who've traveled other spiritual roads, but they're, they're still lost inside somehow. God seems far away and unconcerned. They believe God would reject them even if they found him. Or it's for those who have no hope in this scary world. And they found no assurance that there can be life in heaven beyond the grave. And so they spend their lives running from their mortality. The host of Good Morning America did not understand that our mission as Christians is not to arrogantly condemn others, to try to force manipulate others to accept us, but to give an invitation to those whose spiritual travels have not worked for them and they're still searching. Bottom line, Christmas is an invitation. It's not a condemnation. I have a conviction, though. Whatever motivation brought you to worship tonight, I believe God was behind it because I believe God loves you. The Bible says he does. And God wants you to have another opportunity to hear his Christmas message. It's sort of like a Christmas card for you tonight. And it says, I love you. And to prove it, I gave my son Jesus to save you from your sins so you could spend eternity with me in my heaven. 
This is how you get connected with me. And the good news is we don't have to shape up to receive his love. We already have it. It's not conditional. It doesn't matter how far we've strayed from God or how dirty the uniform of our life might be. Jesus died for those sins and covered them over if we want him to. And above all, we don't have to seek God. In fact, he's seeking us tonight. He came seeking us in the Christ child. He left heaven to come here so he could identify with us and we could identify with him. And you know, it's okay tonight to have questions and doubts about this story. You're welcome to come seeking at Christ's birthday party. I read about the first lady being evicted from that stuffy man Manhattan club in New York for some supposed impropriety. And reflecting on that incident, I thank God that heaven isn't a stuffy club for which we must qualify. Once we're on God's guest list by trusting Jesus as our Savior, we discover all the cover charges have been paid. There's no way to get kicked out. And that's grace. That's our confidence as Christians. That's one reason we're so joy-filled at Christmas time. Oh, the wonder of it all. Maybe we ask, how do we receive such a gift of Christmas? It isn't complicated, but it is a choice. It's a choice to believe that what the Bible says about Jesus is true. Frederick Beekner puts it this way, faith is the hope that Jesus really is what for centuries we've been claiming he is, the hope that in him and through him all of us stand a chance of somehow conquering sin and death. The hope that at some unforeseeable time and in some unimaginable way he'll return with healing in his wings. Christmas Eve is one of those holy moments in life where we have an opportunity to make very big decisions that have eternal implications for us. If you think about it, the power to choose is one of the most precarious and yet precious gifts God gave us because it puts eternal destiny in our hands. The issue of heaven and hell and judgment and all of those things. God's already settled that from his end. It's up to us and our choices. We have to choose, do we want God involved in our lives or not? And that decision follows us through life into eternity. God's already indicated that he wants us to come home with him. That's his loving heart. In a recent editorial on spirituality in America, the New York Times said, this conclusion has been reached by many people searching for God. Like a jury summons that can be put off no longer, the long postponed questions are now. What that is saying is that people who are taking all of these long spiritual journeys are coming to the conclusion they really have to make a decision about whether or not Jesus Christ is a way to reach God. And that decision is increasingly getting, in terms of some of these people, now has to be made. Well, some of you might even be hearing the knock of Jesus tonight. The Bible says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my knock and opens the door, I'll come in to eat with him and he with me. And, and, and that's a metaphor of how Jesus says, I really want into your life. I want you to know me and trust me. Becoming a Christian is an act of the will. And so, as we conclude tonight, I'm going to invite you to take a leap of faith if that's really how the Spirit might be leading you and become a Christian. And it's... Even though I, I really wanted to make it a little more scholarly and um, perhaps uh, intellectually respectable, I can't. Uh, I, I want to do, add nothing more than what the Bible says is the process for becoming a Christian. And it's like this. We become a Christian by confessing, I believe God sent Jesus to die for my sins on the cross. 
I believe God raised him from the dead, giving him authority to forgive my sins and give me eternal life. And I turned my life of independence and over to God, and now I make Jesus my Lord. Making that decision is a leap of faith. But you know, that's not so unusual. We take leaps of faith all the time. We leave one job and venture into another on faith. We sign a 30-year mortgage on a house. On faith, we'll be able to pay it. And in this area, that's a lot of faith. We choose a mate with whom to live the rest of our lives on a leap of faith. And yet some of us hesitate to take a leap of faith when all eternity is involved. I want to tell you, as the years pass as, as a Christian, I believe that you'll discover choosing to become a Christian is the wisest decision you ever made in your life. Last week, I was at uh, 3Com watching Joe Montana being honored and his number being retired. And that celebration was truly awesome because I felt that the days of Joe Montana were the golden days of the Niners, and I wish we could get into that tonight. Uh, Jay, uh, Jay here doesn't agree with me, but anyway, on and on it went. <laughs> watching that crowd of 68,000 people express their love for a football hero uh, made me think of our future as God's children. You know that the Bible says there's rejoicing in heaven by multitudes of angels, thousands upon thousands, over one lost sheep that comes home. That's incredible. Can you imagine God is going to hold a celebration in your honor someday in heaven, celebrating the fact that you accepted his Christmas gift, Jesus Christ as Savior? Can you imagine the joy of hearing a heavenly choir shouting, once you were lost, but now you're found, once you were blind, but now you see, welcome home. Why would God hold such a party in your honor? Because he loves you that much. And that's why he brought you here tonight. That's the message of Christmas. Oh, the wonder of it all. Would you pray with me? Lord, we will spend a lifetime trying to fathom a love that led you to come here so that we could be there with you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his cross. Thank you for his resurrection. Thank you that he's alive here tonight, beckoning, asking us to come home. In his name, amen. He laid aside all the heavenly Stay. 
we receive a gift by accepting it, opening it, and then appropriating it into our lives. And tonight I pray for those who might have heard the knock of Jesus, wanting to give the gift of salvation. And I pray, Lord, for those of us struggling to make the decision, trying to take that leap of faith, and pray we'll reach out right now and take that gift and open it because we see our name on it. God, I pray for those who might be doing that. I pray that this night will become a beginning for them. After a long search of really seeking to get connected with you, that at last they'll know they found you. And that this indeed then for them will become a holy night. In Christ's name, amen.
Well, as the ushers come forward to receive our gifts, which uh, really show our gratitude for the coming of Christ, let's continue to rejoice as we reflect upon the many ways God has blessed us here in this church, both here in Menlo Park and all around the world.
we, co we come now to that very special time when we light a candle. Candles are used for many things. We put them on birthday cakes. We can put them in the center of a table and make it a romantic meal. We keep them at home when the power goes out. Tonight, we're going to use them for a very special symbol, and that is that as this candle is lit and then as you are surrounded with candlelight, for just a few moments, I would suggest that we let this candle represent the warmth of God's love enfolding us. In other words, in the next few moments, let God love you.
And now may the Lord Jesus Christ, that infant child, give you the peace that you long for this Christmas and every day on throughout eternity. And to him be the glory. Amen. And Merry Christmas. Thank you.